This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. This is episode 99 of the podcast and so I've spent almost an hour chatting with Miranda, who you may remember from a previous episode, uh, all about the last two and a half to three years reflecting on surrogacy generally, on my journey, on what I think um, other people should bring to surrogacy and also on my book More Than Just a Baby, which you can buy from my website at sarahjefford.com. It was really great chatting with Miranda, who is an intended parent through surrogacy herself. And uh, I'm going to hand over now to me and Miranda. Today I am chatting with Miranda and it's actually, she's going to be interviewing me about me and the, the book that I've written, More Than Just a Baby, A Guide to Surrogacy for Intended Parents and Surrogates. You might remember listening to the episode of the podcast with Miranda where we talked about her journey. She is a mother through egg donation and surrogacy. And actually, her son, Harry, might pop up in the background of the podcast, so you might hear his little voice now and again if he chooses to um, involve himself in the interview. Hi, Miranda. How are you? Hi, Sarah. I'm good. How are you today? Yeah, good. So you've read my book, which I think is um, pretty exciting. I did. Hearing people talk about it. What did you think of the book? Um, I was so excited to receive it in the mail and... It's so needed and I really feel like um, it's perfect to be to be out there. We know so many uh, intended parents and potential surrogates and um, just this this guide for them is is it's priceless. So um, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about it today. Yes, perfect. So. Sarah Jeffett, who are you? So we know we know you are a lawyer, you're uh, a surrogate and a mom and a wife, but who are, who are you deep down inside? Um, such a good question because you're right. I spend a lot of time introducing myself as the surrogate and the surrogacy lawyer and, you know, IVF mom and that sort of stuff. Um, I guess deep down, and probably this goes right back to my childhood, both my parents were nurses. My dad was a nurse in a remote community. Um, that it comes back to the values that I was raised with, which was sort of fighting for other people's rights and feeling like there needs to be a balance. And I spent quite a bit of time after I had my first child and then my second child and then working in uh, at legal aid, feeling like I'd had the luck of the draw on everything, even though we'd had infertility and IVF, that there'd been sort of a a weight in my favour in terms of being able to have children when I wanted to, have the career that I wanted to and have all these opportunities and that there needed to be a rebalance. So Mm -hmm. I, I also spent a lot of time thinking about disadvantage for other people and the privilege that I felt. And in some ways I had this sort of set of scales in my mind and the scales were always weighted to my advantage. And I felt like I needed to do something to um, balance the scales, which is where egg donation and surrogacy came from. Like I need to do something to put back into the world that, uh, uh, um, that has actually been very kind to me. Yeah. And that's kind of been a thread that's followed through, particularly with the surrogacy. I carried for a gay couple and through the marriage equality debate, I think people knew that I was very passionate about that, for example, but I'd never really thought of it being in particular for my 
I've got family members who are gay, I've got friends that are gay, and I'm carrying for a gay couple. I didn't see it as an individual thing for them. I saw it as this sort of societal thing that I needed to contribute to, that I needed to be conscious of what my legacy was. And also for yeah. my kids who were growing up in a heterosexual family with mum, dad, both at work. They're pretty privileged kids, but I want them to know that not only can they love who they want to love, but that the people around them are worthy and um, worthy of love, even if they don't look like them and sound like them and do the same things as them. So, yeah, I guess it's that I've, I can be very serious. I can also be very uh, dry-witted. Sometimes that gets me in trouble. People have told me they didn't know that I was joking when I've said something... <laughs> A bit sarcastic, perhaps, um, but that I sort of have this constant thread of trying to rebalance everything in the world. Yeah. And I can be very passionate. I can be very political, um, sometimes not always um, to my benefit. And yeah, it's, I think a lot about what legacy I will leave when I leave this earth and in some ways trying to make the most of every day to make sure that that legacy is what I want it to be. That's interesting. You've got really strong goals to make a mark and not not waste a moment, really. Yeah. And that can be yeah. a bit of a burden as well, because if there was, you know, an opportunity to go sit on a beach and do nothing, I my brain struggles to shut off for that because I'm constantly thinking yeah. about what I need to be doing rather than what I could be doing, which is, you know, reading a beach, uh, reading a book on a beach. Yeah. Stillness. It, yeah. It's hard to embrace when you're a yeah. have a busy mind that's right yeah you became an egg donor first you then a surrogate mm-hmm. you talk about you know surrogates in in this book this book is set out in um short little punchy chapters little 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 bites of um of information so really easy to read and easy to digest and and which is great because i I feel like surrogacy can be such a, an information overload and a minefield and this is set out really lovely. You talk about surrogates and are there certain qualities that you think that you need as a surrogate? That's a good question because so many of the surrogates that I've spent time with, they're so diverse in their personalities and their lives and um, who they are and the qualities that they bring to surrogacy and there's so many different reasons why they become surrogates. I know a few years ago we did a bit of a personality test um, in the surrogates group and a lot of us came up with similar personality profiles. So I guess that might be an indicator. From memory, there were quite a few that were INFJs. If you look up uh, the INFJ personality profile, there was variations on that, but quite a few in that category. I also find lots of uh, surrogates I talk to are in caring professions. So they're midwives and nurses and teachers um, and maybe disability workers, for example. But I don't know that there's any particular qualities that we all share. I think having a bit of resilience, being able to sort of do the the mind acrobatics around giving away your genetics or giving away a baby and being okay with it. Because often I think women are told that they will have a hormonal response to giving to having a baby. And we have all experienced that if we've had a baby. And then mm-hmm. trying to work our mind around what that feels like to, can I have a baby and then not take it home? What does that feel like? And it does take a bit of this sort of acrobatics to get your head around it. But I think um, really it's about having that resilience, having some emotional intelligence to be able to think about other people and how they're feeling. I think that's really important yeah. because when we do surrogacy, it's, 
look, it can be such a wild ride and we all get the rose colored glasses and it's amazing, but mm. you also need to be able to put yourself in the position of intended parents, particularly the ones that you're offering to and carrying for in terms of how they mm. might experience it because their experience is potentially going to be the complete opposite of yours. And as an example, yeah. like I'd had two pretty easy pregnancies, but my intended parents had never experienced a pregnancy and they're two gay men. So they weren't ever physically going to experience it. But when I was mm. pregnant with their child, I felt their anxiety along the way because they didn't get to feel her or see her moving or anything like that the way I did. So they were having to sort of rely on my account of it and then on sonograms and blood tests and things to confirm it. I think it took them a while to even believe it was happening. Whereas in some ways I found that frustrating. I was like, well, of course it's happening because I can see it and I can feel it. Um, Mm -hmm. But putting myself in their position and being sensitive to what they are experiencing as two dads about to become parents and me thinking, well, I'm experienced the physical part of pregnancy, but I won't be taking the baby home. Yeah, that's quite a challenge. I would say the other thing a surrogate really needs to be is somebody that can ask for help. And I reckon that's probably the least likely trait that she will have. Most of us yeah. are pretty um, self reliant we don't like asking for help but in something like surrogacy you need to be able to know when to ask for help from a counsellor from your partner or your support network your parents or your friends and be able to let the parent the intended parents know when you need help and accept help from them because that can be I did not like the idea of my intended parents helping us do housework but at some point if they weren't doing it then it was going to put more pressure on my partner and I so accepting the help and sometimes having to sit on my hands and watch them pull in my laundry. (laughs) Like you have to be able to, there's a lot of pride that goes with being a a pregnant person, I think generally, but as a surrogate Mm -hmm. asking others for help is really hard and you have to be able to let the intended parents help. Well, that, that kind of opens up to my next question is um, communication. I think communication is, is a quality that you need to be a good, good communicator. And there's a lot of communication in this book, a lot of information. Um, in chapter three, you talk about costs of surrogacy. Yes. And, and that's a really hard topic for people to talk about. Um, so where does that cost conversation begin? And where does it end? Does it ever end? It's probably the first question I get when people come to my website. They're usually wanting to know how much is it going to cost. And it's so hard to answer because, you know, how long is a piece of string? When it comes to surrogacy, when you're actually talking between intended parents and surrogates, the surrogate won't want to ask about it. She won't want to ask whether they can afford it. That's like, do we really talk to our friends about can you afford to buy that house or that new car? But surrogacy, you kind of have to have some conversation about how are the intended parents prepared for those unexpected costs or to support the surrogate financially when she needs it? And Mm -hmm. I don't think money conversations, I don't, you know, I don't talk to my family outside of my partner. We don't talk about money. I don't talk to my friends about money. Who does? So in surrogacy, you actually kind of have to break down that barrier of who you would normally talk to your partner about it. You've now got two other people or one other person that you need to talk to about it. Mm. And it's quite intimate. I would say a lot of the money conversations should happen with um, perhaps support of a counsellor that knows about surrogacy. How are we going to support our surrogate? What are her expected expenses? I also tell clients that they should consider that part of the surrogacy like a business relationship. So we just put Mm -hmm. it in writing. We say, this is what the expense is. And the intended parents say, thank you. We'll make a transaction tonight, for example. Um, And there's ways that you can kind of avoid having the conversation. I tell people it's a really good idea for the surrogate to have a card linked to the intended parents' bank account 
out so they'd barely have to talk about it, that she might say, I'm going off to get a chiropractor appointment today. And they know that that, that transaction will appear on their account that day. Th that way she doesn't have to ask them for money. She doesn't have to feel like she's, you know, asking for anything because it's just done. So she doesn't while, have to be out of pocket for any amount of time. That's right. And they don't need to worry about her spending her own money on something they just know that when she needs something that's pregnancy related it's done and they've already paid for it and that's they've done their part i know from intended parents having not been one myself but i know that they are devastated if they hear that their surrogate is out of pocket because they feel like they should cover everything they can't carry the baby but they can cover her expenses and that's their way of showing love to her and and the baby um, but again, I think it's the only part of the surrogacy that I would say, this is the business transaction part. If you treat yeah. that part like a business relationship, you can then leave the other stuff for the actual love and friendship. Um, also, we know that if a surrogate has a partner, it can become mm -hmm. their job to be the sort of go-between in terms of talking money because they can be the ones that write an email that say to the intended parents, mm. we're going to get a cleaner. Can you make sure there's money in the account for us to pay the cleaner and this is what it's going to cost? So that the surrogate yeah. doesn't feel like she's actually asking for money and the intended parents yeah. can still have that conversation and know what her needs are without her feeling like she's asking for help. But lots yeah. of counselling. And, and look, does it ever end? Hopefully it does, I guess, because you'd hate for the business side of it to continue for too long. Um, yeah. But you've got to still be able to have that conversation along the way, even post-birth, you know, if she's got things, mm. expenses that pop up, that she should still feel like she can ask for money if she needs to pay for something medical, for example, or some outstanding expense. I guess it takes place with the counsellor that talking about, um, I guess the, the little costs along the way aren't so daunting as, the big cost of say covering um, wages, mm. uh, you know, a, a big chunk of time off at the end of, you know, the pregnancy and that sort of like big money talk happens with a counsellor. Do you suggest like that sort of? I think so. In the most cases, we also, we talk a lot about that lost income stuff in the legal advice. Uh, I get yeah. lots of questions about how do we pay her lost income um, how do we calculate what her lost income is? It's really hard if she's self-employed and, you know, or works casual hours or whatever, we have to try and work out how to calculate it. And how do we make sure that she's happy with that and that the intended parents are happy with it? Um, look, again, business transaction helps, but also I say keep written records, whether it's an email or a diary or a spreadsheet that says this is why we put money in her account. And be upfront and say, yeah. if you're taking time off, you just write us an email or a text message and we will have the money to you within 24 hours, for example. Yeah. And treat yeah. that part as if somebody has issued you with an invoice for, um, you know, painting your house, you pay it on time and make sure it's done. You need to yeah. treat that part of the surrogacy the same. Yeah, that's good. I, I often think that the, that the places where people trip up is that the money, the money part where, yeah, and it leads to people feeling used or um, forgotten. Yes. Things like that. Yeah. So I guess that all needs to be um, nicely tucked away and organised and access to accounts and visa cards and, you know, all of that um, before anything like the pregnancy happens. Yes. Flicking through your book here. When you, you go on to talk about pregnancy and birth and... So I, obviously, we know I had a baby through surrogacy and it's it's impossible for me to understand this because I've, I've never been pregnant, given birth to a baby. 
it's usually such a private thing, but in for a surrogate, it's much more public or there's, there's not just possibly you and your partner, there is you, your partner and intended parents, usually two intended parents, maybe one. So how do you, how did you negotiate being publicly pregnant, you know, like <laughs> pregnant, but not, you know, sort of a, a wider sort of community all involved? Um. Honestly, there were parts of it that were not dissimilar to being pregnant with my own kids because pregnancy is already very public. People can see that you're pregnant or they decide that they, they think you're pregnant and they talk about it and everyone wants to talk about it or touch the belly or oh, have yeah. comments about it and will ask oh, yeah. whether it's a boy or a girl and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so surrogacy is, I guess, different because I would have to make a split-second decision when somebody said, do you know what you're having? Whether I would say, well, actually, it's not mine. Or do I just go, oh, yep, yep, it is mine and I'm not saying any more because this is awkward. Am I going to see you again? How much do I have to tell you? Um, and am, I, <laughs> am I going to engage today? <laughs> yes, that's right. What's my patience level like today? And look, that's yeah. why the, the podcast, the surrogacy podcast started was because people would ask me the same questions and I started thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if we actually just had an audio recording of all my answers? Um, there were a lot mm-hmm. of questions at the schoolyard when I picked up my kids, people coming up and congratulating me and then me having to say, well, actually, it's not mine. And they were mm-hmm. usually really positive. I mean, everyone at school was very positive, very curious and respectful they would all, a lot of questions started with do you mind if I ask you a question about it um, so that was yeah. quite lovely and then they also wanted to know about the dads and have the opportunity to sort of celebrate the the baby coming for them not just for me um, yeah there are a few times that uh, like we had a tradie come to the house and he said something about I didn't know you're having a third child and I said I'm not it's for surrogacy and his response was what well, I don't like that and I, <laughs> I was like <gasps> Um, I don't know what to say about that. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that response. And actually I don't really care whether you like it or not. Um, So there was a time too that after I'd given birth, I told the woman at the checkout at Coles, she, I must've only been two weeks post birth and I still looked pregnant, but I didn't have a baby in my arms. And she said something like, when are you due? And instead of just saying, oh, I just had the baby and leaving it at that, because she was mortified when I said that anyway, I then said, but it's okay because the baby doesn't live with me. I was a surrogate and I gave the baby away. And then went, why, why did I tell her that? Like she, <laughs> I'm sure she thought I was mad, but I felt like I had to, I had to justify the story to everyone um, that was around me and going, no, it's okay. I look like this and I did have a baby, but the baby's not mine. And it was just ridiculous. The, in terms of being public though, I think I found it harder dealing with an IVF clinic dealing with uh, the, I mean, the counsellors were great, but having to sort of explain our story to counsellors, lawyers, clinic staff, um, anyone in that context needing to know about my cycles, wanting to talk to me about medication and everything else. And I've done IVF to have my own baby. So I know that aspect of it. But in this context, we also had two other adults, the intended parents involved, who also knew my cycles, who had also been at scans where somebody's waving a wand around in my uterus. So there's that part that you go, this is a bit intrusive. Um, Mm. Yes, a lot of that in terms of sharing that intimacy with the intended parents, you also have to be very clear about your boundaries and respecting privacy. They, you know, they were very respectful around me, but I also needed to respect that their time together as a couple was not our time as a group of four. We ended up doing um, traditional surrogacy, which might seem like 
we got rid of the IVF clinic. We didn't have to do with that. But we then had this sort of extra intimacy together where my life with my husband, their life together as husbands was suddenly all together. And that was kind of hard to navigate. Yeah. So you just feel like the whole, everything becomes a sort of public discussion. And you don't, you know, you don't realize as a surrogate, how many people are going to know about your menstrual cycle, which is always fun. (laughs) That's a really fine line, keeping your intended parents in the loop and feeling like they're part of a pregnancy that they're physically not part of Mm -hmm. and they're not sleeping next to a pregnant woman rubbing her belly up against them. Um, They're not seeing her get up and go to the toilet four times in a night. No, yeah. So they're not being reminded of all of that. That's right. And not being, not seeing her when she's, I, in the early months I couldn't eat meat or I would try and eat meat and then I would dry retch. And they would never see that. I might tell them about it, but they weren't actually seeing me do that. Whereas my husband was and my kids were. So everyone's kind of experiencing the pregnancy in different ways, that they're bonding with the baby from a distance in some ways. And my husband is watching me, you know, say, sorry, I can't eat that dinner. That's revolting. <laughs> so, I mean, it's lucky he'd, he'd seen me do that twice before, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you navigate then keeping them in your circle but also keeping your husband closer. Um, with traditional surrogacy, I think, has an extra challenge in that, particularly if you're doing yeah. home inseminations because you are crossing these sort of invisible lines of our relationship versus their relationship, me trying to fall pregnant with their baby, that sort of stuff. A lot of it, I think, comes back to my partner being pretty secure in himself that mm-hmm. I, when I first raised the idea of traditional surrogacy with him and explained that it would have to involve home inseminations, he thought that was pretty funny. I let him, mm. think, you know, have a bit of a joke about it. You know, he teased me and the intended parents about it. But also there's a serious aspect where they're sort of crossing boundaries into what would normally be his space, not in an ownership mm. way, but that's space that he and I occupy together. Yeah. Um, But I think, yeah, a lot of it came back to him being very secure that firstly, he didn't want any more children with me. He was happy for me to be a surrogate. He didn't feel tied to my genetics at all, really. You know, he's got two children with my genetics. He didn't feel he had ownership over that. Um, But that he was also secure enough in our relationship and in himself to be okay to say, yes, traditional surrogacy is okay. And there were times that we both talked about, there's still a level of discomfort or awkwardness and needing to reestablish boundaries. We would have the time when we were trying to fall pregnant. And then of course you have the wait to see if you are pregnant and we would essentially Mm. reconnect together and push the intended parents out for a bit so that we could all kind of reestablish the boundaries of this is my relationship and that's your relationship. We're not going to see each other for a few days because we've seen too much of each other in the last week. And reconfirming for my partner that that's where my priorities were essentially. There was also a time when we, we tried to fall pregnant for about five months. And at one point, my partner and I talked about having a break because it was placing a lot of pressure on me or I was, I was the person placing a lot of pressure on me. And he said, I think we should have a break. And I'd promised myself that if he said stop, then the answer was stop. And that we couldn't continue if he felt uncomfortable at any stage. So if he'd said, sorry, I don't want to do this anymore, I might still feel really passionate about doing it. But that if I wanted to maintain my relationship with him, that needed to be the priority. So if he said stop, then that was it. And I think other surrogates should hear that too, is that, you know, some surrogates will think about doing surrogacy and their partner isn't on board. And if Mm. you 
push the partner to become on board that might actually not pay off later when he says, I resent that we did that. I didn't want to do it in the first place. There has to be, mm. I think, play, and the intended parents should recognise that too. If they're not both on board, then you can't go ahead. It's just, it's not even about the legal process or the counselling, but you can't be doing it if the partner is not supportive of her having a baby for somebody. So often then, if the surrogate has a partner, they are, they're the anchor. Yeah, that's right. So they're on, they're on board until they put the anchor down. Yes, that's right. Certainly that was my yeah. experience. I, and I was very clear that I want really, really wanted to do the surrogacy, but I also really, really wanted my relationships, uh, particularly with my husband and my kids, to still be there after the surrogacy. I didn't want to hand over the baby and turn around and find that my marriage had disintegrated or that my kids had become distant from me because I'd neglected them for nine months. So yeah. that was, and I think I needed the intended parents to also see that, that actually them getting a baby was secondary to my relationship with my partner because that, that was more important. Yeah, so they needed him on board as much yeah. as they needed build a relationship with him just as much as they needed to build one with me. Have they also built a relationship with your children? Yeah, they, um, it's quite special actually. It's nice. I think these days now that she's two and a half that I can see that they prioritize their relationship with my kids and her relationship with my kids without me having to yeah. sort of prompt it or anything. They see them as just as much part of the, the family as me and the baby. Yeah, so and that's yeah. nice. The kids are, um, they sort of see each other a bit like cousins these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is quite lovely that they can spend lots of time together and I think they recognise that there is a connection, but mm. dissimilar, I guess, to siblings because they don't see each other as much. Talk to me about the fourth trimester from a surrogate's point of view. Um, when you're in the third trimester, I reckon most surrogates would feel this. There's a bit of nerves around what's the fourth trimester going to be like. I remember actually posting on the surrogates group to say, I'm now at 35 weeks or something and still feeling like everything's a bit of a dream. Am I about to lose my shit when I hand over the baby? Is everything right yeah. up until this point actually just going to fall apart after I hand over the baby because I feel really well I feel really prepared I feel really excited but what if my body and my hormones have a different idea um, and all the responses from surrogates that had birthed already was like no you'll actually probably be fine and there will be days that you cry but you will be fine and this is amazing like it's yeah it's pretty special so then I gave birth the first few days are just amazing like it's such a it's a roller coaster but a total thrill there was no part of that that I found um difficult um I think if anything what I found difficult was you know lack of sleep that sort of thing um the fourth trimester beyond that first week I guess is more of a roller coaster in that it can be a bit unpredictable and mm. I remember day five also happened to be my birthday and I spent most of that day sort of feeling on the edge of tears but not because I was sad more just because hormones had just gone completely wild and people would say happy birthday to me and I would cry <laughs> but in a sort of weepy I'm hormonal way rather than I'm grieving or sad and I saw the baby that day and was like yep actually this is cool this is quite lovely anyway the, the few months after that again bit of a roller coaster I think and um, most surrogates I think experience something similar there's a quite an adjustment from being somebody's surrogate and being pregnant as a surrogate to um, handing over the baby and now what who are you 
like if you've done the surrogate bit, what are you now? They are now parents. Baby is now with the parents. That's amazing. And you turn around and go, what do I do now? And, mm-hmm. you know, we talk a lot about it with, amongst the surrogates and at the Sisterhood Day about sort of planning for your own fourth trimester because you can't really just ex- expect that the, four, the intended parents are going to, you know, provide that support and entertainment for you. You, you know, they've got mm-hmm. a new focus. And being resilient enough to work through that yourself, I would say what you need is a good counsellor to debrief, not because you necessarily feel low or sad, but because it's so complex and confusing and nobody else will really understand it other than other surrogates. Um, But that you plan other activities to keep your mind busy. And it could be something really simple like reading a book or listening to a podcast and being kind to yourself but it could also yeah. be a new, a new project. I mean, I started the podcast in the fourth trimester that, that kept me busy. Some put some creative yeah. energy into something else so that you're not constantly thinking about, well, who am I now that I'm not carrying a baby for somebody? Yeah. On page 154, you actually called yourself the ex surrogate. Yes. <laughs> and I got a bit, I got a little bit sad about that because my baby's five and a half and I still, call his surrogate his surrogate (laughs) I don't think I I'll ever call her his ex surrogate I from my point of view I don't think that you'll ever be the ex surrogate you you are the surrogate she's Mm. here because of you that's well and that that kind of points to also this thing about language because I never Mm. actually liked the word surrogate I feel like surrogate reduces us to our body parts so surrogate yeah, is something yeah. that I did and perhaps birth mother is something who I am. So mm-hmm. I felt like now that I've done the baby, done the pregnancy and handed over the baby, I'm no longer a surrogate, but I am still her birth mother. Um, yep. And it might seem a bit strange to people outside of surrogacy. To, they might not see any different. Um, but I just felt like if I keep referring to myself as a surrogate, it feels like I'm referring in the past tense. Whereas okay. I am always going to be her birth mother. And that will be different for everyone because some surrogates don't like the word birth mother. Some intended parents don't like the word birth mother. I never liked things like tummy mummy and didn't like that. Other people really do. That's fine. I called, I called Meg's tummy mummy a couple of times and I, I actually had some friends pull me up on it and say, how do you feel about that? And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't care. Like, I, it's mm. cute. Like, we kind of loved it as a cutesy thing. Yep. you know yeah and look formally i'm kind of known as auntie sarah that's what she calls me and she may call okay. me if people say to her in the future you know you've got two dads where's your mum she might say i have a birth mother or she might say i had a surrogate like it's that part will be for her i'm not going to tell her what language to use but yeah. i think we kind of settled on auntie we talked about tummy mummy and a few other things when i was pregnant and i said that I felt like the word mum or tummy mummy um, was a bit too close to what I was for my own children. I am their mum, but I'm not her mum. So mum and mother, I think are two different words, very much so. Um, So I could be her birth mother, but I'm not her mum and I'm not her parent. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the difference between house and home, isn't it? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone's different because I know, I, I think I don't have a problem with people using different words. I think if somebody says you know, are you offended by the word birth mother or tummy mummy? Um, I think if intended parents struggle with that, they might need to think about why, why would it be a threat that somebody else birthed your baby 
and that they might mm. be called birth mother because that's not mm. taking away from another mother in the child's life or two dads, mm. for example. It's just mm. it's a different relationship. So I feel like birth yeah. mother is right for me. Um, yeah. But again, you know, I'm not offended if somebody uses a different word. I, I ended up steering away from chummy mummy only because I didn't like um, tummy. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the mummy part it was the chubby part so yeah. so that brings me to my favorite part of your book which was actually the one year on the epilogue uh yeah. at the end um you talk here about you, you kind of are, are clutching at a future that you don't really know um what it looks like and you don't know what she's going to call you and um you don't know how she's going to see you or, or I guess what questions she has for you in the future. Um, you were really beautifully vulnerable in one part where you said um, you've even second guessed her, her dad spending time with you. And, and I guess this is your own vulnerability. Like did they want to spend time with me or is it just that I gave them a baby? Mm. And mm. I like that gave me an insight into wow like there's there's a really beautiful insecurity there can you can you talk more about that yeah i would say that's also part of the fourth trimester yeah when you are sort of readjusting to life without the baby and without the surrogacy fulfilling your life so much um i think it's because partly because i'd met the intended parents for the purpose of surrogacy so we have a great relationship i love them to bits and i know that they love me but i in the fourth trimester had to keep reminding myself of that relationship that it went beyond just handing over the baby. And there was nothing there to indicate that they were just going to get the baby and run. Um, but I think that's kind of the surrogates. It, it's a bit of a cliche that you just think that, well, that's what they're there for. They're here to take the baby and go. And in some ways, and I've talked to Katrina Hale about this, surrogates will perhaps leave little tests for the intended parents. Are they going to, keep me in their lives. Let's just see what happens if I go quiet for a couple of days, if I don't return their phone call, what happens? It's like, if... like dating, isn't it? It is. It's so, you know, <laughs> who makes the first move? Um, it, yeah. it felt like that. And I actually really didn't like that. I don't like that. I, I'm in my relationships. I want it to be totally open and honest, but I felt like I was sort of laying traps for them. They will show me how much they love me if I just go quiet for a few days. And inevitably, they would show me how much they love me. They'd check in on me. Even during like stage four lockdown, if I've not responded to a text message, I get a message to say, are you okay? Just checking in yeah. to see how things are going. Because they love me and I love them and it's lovely. Um, but yeah, that I, look, I never thought we wouldn't have a relationship simply because I'd handed over the baby. But there was this sort of niggly feeling that... Um, they really only hang out with me because I feel obliged to. And perhaps that was because I could tell that they did feel indebted to me. They told me how much they felt indebted to me, yeah. which then sort of fed into this idea that if they didn't feel indebted, then maybe they'd cut me out. Um, and yeah. only, I think only time really proved that that wasn't the case. Um, but perhaps yeah. you know, a reflection for intended parents might be that even if your surrogate's not saying these things, she might be feeling it. And just yeah. a photo or a text message or a check-in unprompted is probably worth more than um, big sort of overt celebrations. You don't have to always send her gifts or flowers or anything like that, but just a text message can let her know that you're thinking of her and that you're grateful for having her in your life, not mm -hmm. just because she gave you a baby. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's the sort of the feeling response to when intended parents have that weird gut to feel of what if she doesn't give him the baby over? What if, yeah. what if she can't do that? And there's no indication to say that that's not going to happen. And you've walked through all of the process and taken all of the proper steps and everyone knows that that's not going to happen, but it's, it, it's sort of the response to that feeling, isn't it? Yeah. And I think as, yeah. as soon as we talk about it and we give it oxygen, it, it dissipates. Yes, definitely. And I had a conversation with one of my intended parents where I had been feeling like if I don't have lots of contact with them, then they're just going to disappear. So I was sort of being a bit overbearing. And in response, they were kind of pushing, pulling back and going, yeah, no, we've had lots of contact. Maybe we'll have a break from contact. And I took that to mean that they were rejecting me and they took my entreaties to have more contact as proof that I actually wanted the baby back or that, you know, they weren't, um, not necessarily that I was going to rock up and take the baby, but that there was always that niggly voice for them to say, she's not going to hand it over or she's going to come back and take it. And it, like yeah. when you say it out loud, you go, oh, that kind of sounds silly, doesn't it? But it doesn't mean it feels any less real when that voice in your head is telling you at four o'clock in the morning, you know, yeah. she's going to take the baby or they're going to dump me and I'm going to feel abandoned that, you know, I think it's been for me and my intended parents, it's been really important to actually just say the feelings, even if they feel silly, because once you say it, you get to hear that actually it's, you know, somebody can try and alleviate it for you. Yeah. You said that the, the best description you could say about surrogacy is it's complex. Yeah. Um, it sure is. Um, and actually I've surprised, I'm surprised that you have managed to squeeze in so much detail into this little book about the complexities that there are. Um, you also say that surrogacy is a perpetual journey. And I guess that resonates too with what we've spoken about today is it's ongoing, isn't it? You, um, she's two and a half now. Mm -hmm. It was a, a friend who's not in the surrogacy community said to me after I told her about my relationship with the intended parent, she said, oh, it's very much like a perpetual journey. And I went, yes, that's exactly right. And even mm. now looking forward and looking back on the last two and a half years, it's constantly changing because she's constantly changing and we as adults are constantly evolving. And when she's 5, 10, 15, 25, when she's got her own kids, it's our relationship is going to keep changing, um, which is perhaps why I, I think birth mother was more appropriate because I don't know that she'll be still referring to me as her surrogate when she's 35. And birth mother might, you know, might sound more appropriate. But again, she'll get to choose that, not me. Um, but yeah, it just feels like this it will is be, a lifetime. It will be it will be interesting to hear her language mm. and how it changes and evolves. And I mean, like my language has changed too throughout, you know, between being an intended parent and then being a parent. Mm. Can you talk to me about watching um, her dads become parents? I, I imagine overwhelming pride. So the actual birth, I was pretty foggy because I think I'd been in labor for um, about 12 hours by then. Um, but I think by then I just wanted to see that she was safe and healthy. And there, there, I, I've heard other surrogates talk about this, that when the baby's here and you can see that they're safe and healthy, you go, oh, thank God, I've done my bit. Like the baby's here, it's over to them now. I've, you know, delivered them the baby that I promised. And that can be quite powerful. Um, and then actually just seeing their faces light up when they got to see her and they're overcome with emotion that was, I mean, that was amazing. 
I then heard one of the intended parents calling his par his mum to say the baby's here and I could hear him choking up and I was just like this is I mean it just keeps going and going this buzz of oh, yes. become parents and then I get to see them telling grandparents and then I asked them this to is take, oxytocin porn. Oh, it's just I know it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> and then even when she gets to meet her cousins and her other extended family and they've got footage of her meeting her grandma for the first time and at every step of the way, there's this sort of spark in my heart that goes, I did that. That Look at that. I made yeah. a grandma. Yeah. This is amazing. I, I was a bit surprised by how much I was excited to know that I hadn't just made parents. I'd made a grandparent. This is beyond what I could have imagined. Um, and yeah, it's, it's special. We really enjoy now my husband and I enjoy it when we hear that she's you know had a three-year-old tantrum or um she's giving me giving them a bit of grief with you know whatever it is that two and a half year olds do um <laughs> that that's kind of special too like yep that's this is what parenthood is and we gave them that with all the all the challenges part of the package that's right um, but also I remember there was a part when she must have been about six months old and I was babysitting for a couple of hours and she kept looking out the window for her dad's and the part of me was like, oh, she doesn't know who I am. I feel a bit sad about that. But actually this stronger feeling was she's so bonded with these dads and that's exactly what I wanted. I don't want her to look for me. I want her to look for her dads and she still does that. And I think that's, it's amazing. You might think that's a bit weird. Why would I want her to not be bonded with me? Well, I am bonded with her, but not as a parent. And she looks to them and that's the best. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really reaffirming too for intended parents because you do, or I especially ask myself if it's not my egg and it's, and it's not my body, like how can I even call it my baby? But seeing hearing a surrogate say, you know, you witnessed her looking for her, mm. her parents. Mm. That's, yeah, that's really lovely. And you, and you know that you did it for the right people then too. too. Well, that's right. you know, you, yeah. You know that they're doing all of, all of the things that, that you would do. Um, I guess being pregnant and giving birth is a huge part of being a mother um, or your partner doing it and you being a, a parent yeah but it's how much of that is there's a whole complex and perpetual road of parenting after that fact too isn't there so. yeah and I heard somebody articulate this really well um in a question to me they said are you saying that pregnancy and birth is separate from parenting and I said pregnancy and birth is part of parenting I guess in that being pregnant you're a parent but that I think surrogacy proves that you can do the pregnancy and birth and not have any inclination to do the parenting. And you can not do pregnancy and birth and have all the bonding and every, all the investment in being that child's parent. They're two separate acts. And my act of parenting in inverted commas for Darcy ended when I gave birth to her. Um, and yeah. I guess it continued a little bit after that because I gave her some breast milk, but that the actual... Yeah bulk of the parenting is done by two other people and I had no interest in doing that I still have no interest in doing that um, mm. and I think it's really interesting that some people find surrogacy quite challenging to get their heads around when we've never found it challenging to ask a man to bond with a baby and parent a baby that he didn't birth like that's never been a problem um, yeah. we my husband bonded and parents my kids but he he never birthed them and he was never expected to not have a bond with them because he didn't birth them. So yeah. why, why do we expect differently from intended parents who didn't birth their babies or yeah. expect 
surrogates will want to parent a baby just because she carried it. I think it's two separate things. You absolutely did parent though, because you know, you made decisions for her, mm. you know, by not drinking too much alcohol, not smoking, yep. choosing, you know, to have prenatal care and, well, that's right. And even just worrying about her to the point of her birth when I could say, oh, good, I've done my bit. I've, this is my act of, of motherly love. I can have, is, I I made can the have baby. a rest now. That's right, exactly. Somebody else can yeah. take over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just quickly tell me about, you touched on it a little bit before. What did you do to, to refill your cup? After that big emotional climax and all of the beautiful little moments of that fourth trimester, beautifully interwoven with the complex emotions of hormones and happy tears and tears that weren't happy and weren't sad, but they're still really tears. A lot of it was talking with other surrogates um, who yeah. had been there, done that and could get it. If I said I'm crying all day and it feels awful or, you know, something's happening that's upset me or whatever it is, I could tell the other surrogates in the group and they would go, yep, been there, done that, and we're here for you and you're normal. We have a lot of surrogates that will say things like, so I'm really happy about handing over the baby, but the midwives and the nurses are all expecting me to kind of lose the plot. Am I, is there something wrong with me? Do I have a cold stone heart because I'm not upset about handing over the baby? And all the other surrogates we go, no, of course you're not. Like that's completely normal. We would be worried if you were actually devastated about handing over the baby. You should be mm -hmm. happy, you know, ride that wave. It's amazing. Um, in terms of filling my cup, it was, yeah, talking to other surrogates in particular. I also spent, I mean, we spent a lot of time with the intended parents, but a lot of photos and it wasn't just photos of the baby, which were pretty amazing but photos of the intended parents with the baby or seeing them yeah. with her, seeing them deal with a dirty nappy or feeding her or whatever. That was quite special. Um, <laughs> they would come over in the first few weeks and kind of arrive at the doorstep and hand her to me at the door thinking, I, yeah. I guess, you know, have a cuddle with the baby. And I think, well, that's lovely, but actually I want to see you having a cuddle with the baby. I want to see you parenting the baby. That's why I did this. And if you give me the baby, it kind of freaks me out because um, I think you're going to, leave it with me and I don't want you to do that <laughs> so, but even now it still fills my cup when I see her being parented by them um and that's yeah it, it, we talk about it the perpetual journey I get to fill my cup for you know endless years seeing them experience all the joys of parenting as she grows up yeah yeah that's really lovely Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you are looking for more information, you can find it on the blog. Listen to more podcast episodes at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at sarah at sarahjefford.com.